0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Investment News Podcast. I'm Jeff Benjamin. My co-host, Bruce Kelly, is not available this week, so I'm going solo. And we want to thank our sponsor for this episode, Schwab Asset Management. We've got a really cool topic here. The guest is Matt Matrician, Chief Channel Officer at AssetMark. And we're going to talk about fees, which I know financial advisors love to, love to kick around, love to talk about, argue about. It's a fascinating area for me because I look at across the financial services industry. All we hear about is fee compression, Uh, mutual funds, ETFs. It it just everybody's belly aching that the fees are compressed and you can't get around that. But financial advisors, from what I've seen, have have been able to hold steady, especially in the, the advisors that charge an asset based fee, which most advisors seem to do. Matt has, has got some interesting concepts on this and even has some perspectives on the, making the case for increasing advisory fees. Um, but one other thing he, we're going to talk about today is the, uh, the concept of a benchmark fee and how that can help advisors sort of set their fee structures and, and adjust them and, and maybe not have the same fees for every client. But we're going to let Matt kind of walk us through this. Matt, how are you doing? Thanks for being here today.
1: Yeah, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm excited uh, to talk about fees. Uh, it seems to be a topic that uh, all advisors, whenever I talk to to them, whether individually or in a group setting, they all tend to lean in. Uh, they want to understand kind <laughs> yeah. of uh, their, their, their fee structure. They want to understand kind of uh, profits and margins and everything else. So it's definitely a topic that is always well received, and uh, advisors have a lot of interest in. So I would love to get into it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, it's a, it's a practice management concept. You you talk about fees or you talk about valuations in the m a space you know what's your firm worth and like you said you'll you won't have any advisors in the room staring down at their phones they're going to be paying attention um, yeah yeah exactly right l- let me start with this concept of a benchmark fee uh, you you kind of introduced this to me maybe it's not new to the industry but um, i I still it was it was kind of it was kind of fresh to me so walk me through what you're talking about here first of all with a the idea of a benchmark fee. I mean, I think about benchmark fee the way I would think about a benchmark index. Like, this is the fee for, you know, most of the industry, and you can be above that or below that. But that might be an oversimplification.
1: Yeah, I, I think that uh, directionally you have it right. Um, you know, and I would say the the concept of a kind of a benchmark fee or benchmark fee schedule isn't. Um, isn't hitting mainstream yet for a lot of advisors, but we are getting questions from advisors um, as they think about their own fee structure, uh, whether it's competitive, uh, whether it is um, uh, over or underpriced for their clients. And so um, what we've done is started to talk to advisors about kind of benchmarking their fees, their existing fee schedule versus industry benchmarks that are readily available, whether that's through um, research sources like uh, Cerule, uh, even Investment News, uh, provide some, some benchmarking fee analysis. Uh, and then sitting down with advisors and saying, okay, um, this is kind of a, a wide group of advisors, uh, and this is what they're charging at various uh, asset levels of, across their client base. Uh, and certainly you could choose to adopt uh, that, that similar fee schedule. Uh, or pricing structure plus or minus, um, or if you choose to deviate uh, from what we consider what the industry views as kind of a, a consistent or average benchmark fee, then then let's have some rationale behind that. Um, whether it's the services that you provide, whether it's the marketplace that you're in, the type of client that you serve, let's make sure that we understand that. Because, uh, you know, you you mentioned early on that there is Um, certainly fee compression across our industry. And that's everything from the custodians to the product manufacturers, to the platform providers, to the broker dealers. We see it across the board. Where we don't see it is at the individual advisor level. And so those that are supporting the client and closest to the client, we really haven't seen a lot of fee compression. Now that doesn't mean there isn't margin compression. And so that, that individual advisor might still be charging, let's say, Cerulli says on average an advisor charges 101 basis points. So let's say that advisor is charging 100 basis points on average. It doesn't necessarily mean that they are still maintaining the same margins on that 100 basis points that they did, you know, five or seven years ago.
0: Yeah, see, that that is a good point, margin compression, but it's still... If there's fee compression, uh, I guess if, if you're the, the you're the advisor and you're the one talking to the people ultimately paying all these fees up and down the food chain, it is interesting that that they're the ones not seeing any pressure. but I mean, they, I guess at least over the past few years, they could you could say they' they're benefiting from inflation uh consumers are are used to seeing everything get more expensive but all right if we're talking about that for my oversimplification that benchmark fee being around one percent what are you talking about in terms of advisors i mean should advisors be be saying that well the average is one percent so i'm okay at one percent or i can justify charging more because ultimately you can rationalize whatever you want but yep. you have to be able to convince your clients that you're worth a little bit more money. I mean, you're always going to be able to convince them that of a fee cut. I don't know if that ever happens in the advisory mm-hmm. space, mm-hmm. but, you know, maybe you might be able to start in at a lower mark if you're, you know, you've got a real basic plan or you're somebody's, you know, uh, 20-year-old child of, a, you know, of an existing client. But how do, how do advisors, I, I guess, approach the issue of, of raising fees?
1: Yeah, so if you if you look at um, a lot of the data, and I'll just reference a, a study from Cerule done, done last year, we only see about 6% of advisors that are considering raising their fees. Um, and now, now, that being said, and, and when you think about raising the fees, it's, it's really around actually adjusting their fee schedule and, and adjusting it up. But that doesn't necessarily mean that um, the broader set of advisors aren't looking at um, their entire client base and doing an assessment of am I, am I being compensated appropriately across my entire client base for the work that I'm doing. A quick example, um, you have a, an advisor that um, they're probably providing, providing some level of ongoing service, support, uh, maybe even light level of planning. Uh, for a group of clients that they sold a mutual fund to uh, a number of years ago, and now they're getting a 25 basis point trail on that. The level of service that they're probably providing those clients is more consistent with what they might be delivering under an advisory fee schedule that might be consistent with a 1% fee. So um, it's a matter of thinking through with that individual client relationship. One, is it an appropriate change for that client to shift from uh, the current structure that they're in into more of an advisory fee model? Um, and then two, if it, if it is an appropriate change and given the continuous oversight, planning, support and everything else that you're doing for that client, it actually is a better relationship with that client. You could actually look at how, how do we expand our margins with that client going forward, uh, be on the same side of the table and then deliver a better client experience. Um, now you're gonna get compensated more um, for delivering the, that better client experience. So it doesn't necessarily mean that you're adjusting up your fee schedule but you are adjusting your margin on individual clients. Uh, Another way to do it is looking at other products and solutions that you might consider offering to your clients uh, to um, effectively expand the relationship, be more holistic in nature, and ultimately drive a higher revenue stream uh, through ancillary revenue sources.
0: Weren't we programmed over the past several years in this movement toward asset-based fees and away from commissions that, you know, the advisor is charging an asset-based fee because they're on the same side of the table as you. And where you know, and then it got into this whole debate of, you know, you're providing all these other services, but the fee is based on just the assets under management. And now it sounds like you're saying, Matt, that let's charge the assets under management fee and let's also charge another fee for all those other services?
1: I think it depends on the advisor and how they're thinking about their, their fee schedule uh, and Mm -hmm. how they're actually disclosing it to their clients. So um, we have right now in the industry, about 35% of advisors that are charging separately for their financial plans and financial planning. So that Mm -hmm. means that effectively 65% of them are actually rolling that service up into their advisory fee. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, um yeah i think that you can certainly justify it either way Uh, i find a lot of times advisors who have it effectively bundled if you will um, into their advisory fee say you know what when there are down markets uh, i feel more justified in going to my clients and justifying my fee because of all the other work that i'm doing and if i had it bifurcated and having my advisory fees solely dependent on kind of the investment management um, solutions that I'm delivering, um, you know, maybe that fee gets compromised. um, And so, or the value of that fee gets compromised by bundling it together, there's overall value there. So it just depends on how, in my mind, about how the advisor wants to look at it and how they think about their fee schedule. Um, and uh, what services are providing under that fee we spend a lot of time my business consulting team spends a lot of time sitting down with advisors helping them understand what their their revenue streams look like what their profitability across their business looks like at the individual client level and then what the service model is associated with their different client segments to make sure that they're delivering value and delivering it profitably.
0: From your experience and research, Matt, uh, those 35% of advisors that are charging a separate fee in addition to the asset fee for advisory services, do you have any idea what kind of fees they're charging? Are these like one-time annual portfolio, or uh, not portfolio, but like your your kind of your household balance sheet? Uh, or is it, a, is it like a retainer fee, or is it, you know, I'm going to charge you this year. I'm going to do your taxes, so I'm going to charge you for that. How does that? How do these other fees come in?
1: Yeah, typically, um, um, they there's 35 percent of advisors that are charging for financial plan, so they're charging separate and distinct for the actual plan itself. That doesn't necessarily mean that they are wrapping up their um, their ongoing financial planning support in their advisory fee. But they're sitting down with a new client, sitting down with a prospect and say, you know what, I'm going to charge. Uh, I'm going to develop a financial plan for you. You can choose to implement that plan with me or not. But I'm going to charge you separate and distinct for the work that I do. So the client, the client derives value out of it, right? They're paying for something and they're getting something in return. Interestingly enough, if you look at the the, the and I know um, uh, Michael Kistis talks about this a lot, is that the disparity in the charge for that financial plan is pretty significant. Uh, in fact, the the average comprehensive financial plan uh, right now is roughly about eighteen hundred dollars. OK, uh, but if you look at the minimum that we see, it's two hundred and fifty dollars and you look at the maximum, it's twenty thousand dollars. So <laughs> there's a pretty, pretty significant disparity in what advisors are charging uh, for that kind of comprehensive financial plan. Um, but nevertheless, thirty five percent of them are charging a separate distinct fee. You have another 15 percent that are charging annual or retainer fees uh, to their clients. Uh, and on then top you have a, of,
0: on top of the asset base fee.
1: Uh, it could be, or it could be in in replace of the asset based fee. In fact, we've seen we've seen a lot of advice. I shouldn't say a lot. We've seen a a significant uh, number of advisors that have actually shifted to a flat uh, retainer fee model. So away from the basis point and said, look, we will charge uh, for a million dollar client. I'm going to charge you ten thousand dollars a year going forward, um, and that's going to be a flat fee that I charge. Um, and then they look at, you know, they reserve the right kind of adjust that fee um, in the future. But they have a kind of a flat fee model for that client. So market fluctuations aren't impacting their their flat. Well, fee yeah, they're enough.
0: they're not impacting them much. But if you're if you're charging a million dollar client ten thousand dollars, that's one percent. So it's you're basically still charging an asset based fee you
1: you are you are but the the key there is that you're not necessarily getting the upside potential of the market in that in that flat fee right and so when you think about business valuation and ultimately the growth of your firm from a revenue perspective I think those advisors are kind of shifting to that model or kind of missing out on, on some of that value
0: right but they might but if, if this one million dollar client becomes a five million dollar client you, you got to imagine that the fees are going up for that Person or family?
1: Yeah, I'm sure. You, I'm sure you have a fee schedule that you know, the advisors have the fee schedule to be able to support that. Absolutely, because there's more, typically more work that you're doing uh, to be able to, to support that client. Absolutely. Schwab Asset
0: Management is proud to sponsor the Investment News podcast. In today's complex world, Schwab Asset Management provides a simple, straightforward approach to investing. As one of the largest and most experienced asset managers, they offer low-cost core ETFs for building the foundation of a diversified portfolio. Their focus lineup, which includes market cap, index, and strategic beta ETFs, is a reflection of a commitment to deliver exceptional experiences to investors and the financial professionals who serve them. Learn more at schwabassetmanagement.com backslash ETFs, that's schwabassetmanagement.com backslash ETFs. Are you seeing? Do you know of a lot of advisors that are just charging the advisory fees and not even doing the asset management anymore? I'm not talking about outsourcing it within their firm. I'm just saying they're saying we don't.
1: Yeah, not none of a lot of advisors that that we speak to that are just charging, uh, you know, uh, an asset based fee or even. I mean, there's the notion of a subscription-based fee model um, or hourly fees. You know, those are ty- typically the variety of, of fees that we see. But it's a very small segment. Um, you know, I want to say less than 10% that are maybe charging subscription-based or or you know hourly fees as part of their engagement model
0: with clients. To me, in my experience, it seems like those fee models are best for. Um, clients that maybe are younger or have more debt than assets or have high incomes but are kind of new to the workforce. I mean that's why it's nice to see that there are fee models out there like that so that uh, advisors can serve those people that have clearly you know financial planning needs but they're not going to be able to bring a million dollars to for the client to manage or the advisor to manage. Um, I did want to make a comment about the the uh, the fee the model advisory fee uh, disparity that you talked about from I think a couple hundred bucks to twenty thousand dollars. Obviously, that reflects not the hair not like a harem scarum you know pricing structure out there. It's it's reflective of of the type of clients that they're serving. If if somebody's got a a twenty thousand dollar annual uh, advisory fee. They're probably dealing with some complex, maybe uh, uber-rich person or family where the two hundred dollars is probably somebody that says, you know, I want to make sure that I'm on the right track, and you know, something like that, right?
1: Yeah, you know So that totally fair point. But um, when I was quoting those numbers, that was specifically for the delivery of a comprehensive financial plan, and and I and I have to believe. Right, and you're just. I'm just looking at kind of industry data. I have to believe that that um, comprehensive financial plan that was delivered at twenty thousand dollars is is much more complex than the client that's paying thousand um, dollars. So, totally agree. Uh, there, there certainly is that. But I have seen um, you know deliveries of a comprehensive financial plan uh, just within you know advisor-based advisor based advisors that I've worked with. Some of them are very sophisticated and very reasonable in terms of price, 2500 bucks. And some of them aren't nearly as sophisticated, and they charge more than $2,500. So I think there is a level of disparity in terms of what the end client is actually receiving across uh, the, the advisors that they're working with.
0: Let's talk a little bit about that awkward conversation of going to your client and saying, it's going to cost you more money now.
1: Yeah. yeah. Whether
0: that means I'm going to up my... My, my asset base fee, or I'm going to start charging you separate fee for all the other cool stuff I do for you. How do you envision those conversations are are happening or if they're happening? I mean, maybe they're not happening but they, they have to be happening somewhere.
1: Yeah, so like I said, uh, you you got it right now, uh, according to the data that I've seen, you know, less than 10% of advisors that are are looking at increasing their fee, but nevertheless, um, and maybe that's a function of the market that we're in, obviously, in a a struggling market, you're probably not going to have a lot of advisors going in and asking their clients to pay more. But that being said, um, I think that um, the the conversation can kind of go a, a couple of different ways. Um, uh, one, I, I will I will underscore this fact emphatically. I think a lot of advisors underestimate the amount of loyalty that they built with their clients. Uh, in fact, when when we work with advisors and talk to them about doing a fee adjustment and and moving their fee up, what we do is we look at uh, kind of what the benchmark is based off the services that they're providing. And if they are undercharging, we had that conversation that, look, you're you're undercharging by 20 basis points across your segments. You might consider raising your fee. And they say, well, what does that look like? Well, one, we need to come to the clients with facts. Two, we need to uh, and tell them, look, we looked at the benchmarks. This is kind of what uh, similar firms are charging. Um, in addition, tell them, you know, we haven't adjusted our fees in the last call it 10 years. And quite honestly, the cost of services have gone up, whether it's my rent or other things as a business, the costs have continued to to increase. Um, So delivery and also the expectation from the individual client. So when I talked about margin compression earlier, the expectation from clients that they're expecting more and demanding more from their advisors, so additional ancillary services as well. And then the last thing is that we talked to advisors about having a very defined and structured service model for those clients. So you can go back to them and, and make sure that they understand everything that they're getting uh, for the fee that they're, they're paying. Um, and then by kind of packaging all of that together, advisors can have a pretty healthy conversation with their existing client base. Um, the other thing that I would say too, is that there's also different ways to approach it. If you have, um, a, um, um, I always hate the term junior advisor, but maybe it's associate advisor in your firm. Uh, maybe transitioning clients down to an associate advisor within your firm, and you as a lead advisor are able to effectively continue to, to charge uh, more or increase your fees. Um, but if the, advisor, the individual client doesn't want to pay more, maybe they can shift down to uh, an associate advisor within the firm. Um, And then the last thing that I'll say is um, advisors could think about effectively um, keeping their current fee structure in place uh, for their existing clients and then increasing their fees going forward for new clients that they're bringing on board. uh, So they effectively provide, you know, what ends up being a fee discount to to their legacy clients uh, that they've had a longstanding relationship in place with. Uh, But going forward, they're going to be charging more for new clients coming in.
0: So the opposite of uh, the teaser rate that you see from the cell phone company. Yeah, right? it, yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> it comes <laughs> away, You get to pay more than everybody else yeah. before you yeah. All right. Um, that's right, that's right, is it is it your experience that? And that this is that's a good segue into this question. Is it your experience that um, advisors have different fees? The different pricing models within their firm. I'm not just talking about existing clients versus new clients. And I'm not even really just talking about, you know, the breakpoints that you might hit when yeah. you reach 10 million or something like that. Do you think that advisors are, you know, they say, I, I you know, this guy's, I, I don't even want to use a friend and family example. Yeah, just right. Take my but, question as broad <laughs> as you want and try and answer it, Matt.
1: Uh, there there is no doubt that over the the lifespan of an advisor's business, they have made fee concessions. Um, and we we do it all the time. We run a fee analysis for an advisor. We take their actual fee schedule and then we run the calculations and apply it across their client base and then ask them to provide us the actual fees, the true actual fees that the client's paying. And we find that there is disparity versus what their fee schedule says that they should be charging and what they're actually charging. So, and it could be for any number of reasons, family and friends discount. It could be because they have a high net worth client that they're trying to recruit. So they feel like in order to be competitive, they've discounted their fee because they don't feel confident enough to lean in. Uh, to the fee that is uh, uh, aligned with their fee schedule. Any number of reasons, but there is no doubt in my mind that there is a fee disparity between what their fee schedule actually states and across the board in aggregate what their clients are paying.
0: Yeah, that's. I wanted to ask you about there, what the fee, fee model state, their fees state. I don't see a lot of advisory firm websites that list their fees. There are some... And the advisors that I talk to that list their fees on their website, they they they're proud of that. They talk about that. They're right. kind of trying to throw down the gauntlet to get everybody else to do it. But is that something that that is an issue, or could happen, or should happen? Do you think?
1: You know, I I, I think that the the industry as a whole prides itself, uh, the advisory industry as a whole prides itself on fee transparency. Um, now, whether you put that on your website or you provide it as part of your your ADVs disclosures and and your client brochures. I think either way is, is absolutely appropriate. Um, I think the the those firms that are actually putting their their fee schedule on their website is they they truly believe that that is a competitive advantage for them. Uh, and by doing that, it allows them to attract more clients. And my, my comment back to them is that's absolutely appropriate. If you're able to win business and you're able to meet the margin that you expect uh, on, your, on your business going forward, then, then so be it. Um, be, a, be a low cost provider in, in the industry and try to drive that forward, no doubt.
0: Just because you're advertising your fees doesn't mean you're a low cost provider though, right? to be fair.
1: No, it it doesn't. But I can tell you that um, um, typically from what I've seen, those advisors that are kind of leaning in with their fee schedule, um, maybe coupled with their value proposition, but leaning in with their fee schedule is because they believe that that's a competitive advantage that they have.
0: This is a a good time for me to share a a quote from a conversation I had with Rick Edelman several years ago when he was still 100% a financial advisor. I was asking him about, you know, fee pressure in the advisory space and what he says to clients when they come to him and say I can get a financial planning uh, arrangement with the guy down the street for less money and Edelman said he, he, I don't know if it was, he was this was a real story that he told a client but he said he would respond to that client by saying nobody knows their worth more than they do.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. I yeah. totally agree. <laughs> basically
0: saying if somebody is charging you less they're probably worth less i, I right. you know you could you could take that or leave it but what about valuations you mentioned that just briefly but i wanted to ask you about that these you know we know that the consolidation in the ra space is is just year after year at record levels and a lot of the valuations of these firms is based on their their fee models being asset you know fees based on assets under management if Firms are starting to you know, tweak their fee models a little bit. I mean, adding another layer of fees is probably going to even be more attractive. But if you get away from the assets under management fee model, which most of the industry is clinging to, what do you think that does to valuations at these firms?
1: You know, it's interesting. I think um, certainly the the firms, if they're going to switch to um, a flat fee model or um, out, something outside of a, a, a an account based advisory fee, um, I think that uh, it could have an impact on on their valuation. And you know, the way to combat that is. Um, we talked a little bit about it earlier, is do you have a specific flat fee schedule based off of the tiers of your clients? Makes total sense. You should probably think about that. Two, um, the the fee structure uh, under an advisory fee model is effectively you get the tailwinds of the market over time. Now, granted, it's going to fluctuate up or down depending on the market, but over time, I think we all agree that 60-40 portfolio, you're going to be growing at call it four and a half percent year over year maybe it's three and a half whatever that number is um so you have the tailwinds of the market that are continuing to expand your your revenues and hopefully continue and expand your profitability and margin as well so coming back to your question i think for those advisors who are in a flat fee structure as long as you're continuing to grow revenues by adding new clients, and your fee gives you the margin that you need to deliver um, effectively appropriate cash flow that's consistent with the rest of the industry, um, growth rate is the growth rate. I think that um, your valuation uh, can be uh, consistent with other firms in the industry. Um, when when firms look at valuation and look at what they're willing to pay, they're looking at cash flow. They're looking at uh, Effectively, the growth rate of the overall organization and they're looking at the risk and assuming all of those things being equal, they should be willing to pay a fairly equal price.
0: The last thing I want to ask you about here before we let you go is uh, the advisors adding capabilities around less traditional services and I'll let you Explain to me what that what that means by less traditional services.
1: Yeah. So uh, you think about um, the the wide disparity of services that, that are offered. Um, there's uh, uh, everything from um, for your higher net worth segments from uh, philanthropic giving strategies to estate planning strategies to, um, you know, business planning strategies and, and the like and, and services. Um, We find that a lot of advisors aren't aren't providing that that depth and breadth of services, but what we do see is, uh, especially at at the the enterprise level, so some of the aggregators that are looking at it and saying, look, if we can expand into trust services, if we can expand into insurance planning and and provide insurance products to our client base in an appropriate way, it allows us to expand the margin uh, on those clients uh, and deliver services that they would normally have to go outside of our firm to get. And so when I think an individual advisor, and they're looking at their own practice, are there services that they're referring out that maybe makes more sense for them to keep in-house? Uh, one of which is, you know, uh, very simply for me is, is insurance. Um, you know, I think historically a lot of um, uh, fee-only financial advisors have refrained from, uh, providing insurance, but quite honestly, as we all know with the CFP, it's a core component of the CFP, um, that uh, be able to manage risk uh, at the individual client level and to deliver a product and solution to that client that's appropriate, and at the same time, not having to refer that out to a third party and to be able to deliver it more holistically. I think it's a value add not only for the client, but it's a value add for the firm, creates a better relationship for the client, a better client experience, but it also allows you to expand your margin with that client going forward.
0: Well, I can see what you're saying there, Matt. Um, Obviously, insurance should be part of any financial planning discussion, but doesn't that get into the sticky issue of fiduciary and fees from insurance and commissions and stuff like that?
1: Um, I think in any case, uh, the individual advisor, if they keep the tenant that we all agree on is, is uh, you know, do what's right for the client and do in the best interests of the client, then I, I think there's certainly less conflict. Conflict arises when an in- individual um is is going opposite to that as not uh, doing what's right for the client or in the best interest of the client um and then in addition to that separate distinct is that there are more and more insurance solutions out there in the marketplace i always hate to use the word product but the more insurance solutions out there in the marketplace that are advisory in nature and fee-based in nature so uh, i think advisors should consider uh, those alternative solutions if they're against Selling a commission-based product, um, I think that they could certainly find solutions that are appropriate for that client um, in other
0: ways. Since we, since you open the can of insurance, I'm just going to throw this one out there. Something I've been talking to a, a few other advisors about this idea of if you're a fee-based advisor, you're charging in a fee based on their assets, and the you know you're but you're a holistic advisor, so you want to make sure your client has the appropriate amount of insurance. But you can't take that commission. So you cut your fee. Let's say the insurance commission is, I don't know, a thousand bucks, right? And you're charging mm-hmm. this client $10,000 a year because they got a million dollars. You rebate that commission amount back to the client. So they're still paying you $10,000 a year and they're getting the insurance, as opposed to referring your client somewhere else to get that insurance. And then the client ends up paying. a year. I mean, I don't even know if that's legal, but it seems to make a lot of sense. I shouldn't have said it's not legal. I I think it might not be uh, recognized as a fiduciary thing to do.
1: Yeah, I I think that's fair. Certainly um, advisors should talk with their their, uh, compliance counsel about that. So I'm kind of looking at it as basically a fee offset Um, and be able to say, you know what, I'm willing to offset that fee. Quite honestly, advisors do it every day from a financial planning perspective. I mentioned the 35% that charge separately for a financial plan. I see advisors every day that will go to their client and say, you know what, Mr. or Mrs. or a prospect, I should say, Mr. or Mrs. Prospect, I typically will charge $2,500 for a financial plan. But if you decide to actually implement the plan with me, I will waive that fee and ultimately, you just pay the advisory fee going forward. Uh, in some ways, it's a similar concept that says, "Look, uh, the cost is twenty five hundred dollars. I'm willing to absorb that cost into my advisory fee schedule."
0: Yeah. Well, really interesting stuff, Matt. Um, obviously, there's a lot of uh, things going on in the in the fee space, and it's 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 not just one static one percent of your assets under management. Take it or leave it. Um, and we're going to give you a holistic planning. Now it's like, okay, you can take this, or you can take that, or we can talk about the fee structure, or you can just get an advisory fee uh, relationship with me. It's going to be fun to watch this continue to evolve, and I, I got to believe it's going to continue to evolve, but I can't imagine the industry gonna, is going to stray too far from asset-based fees. Do you?
1: No, not any, not anytime time soon. I, I think that those that are uh, maybe going in different directions mm-hmm. are trying to look at it from uh, maybe a, a competitive distinction. Um, and they're trying to differentiate their practice model outside of what, you know, the industry has kind of adopted as kind of your traditional advisory fee structure.
0: Okay, we're going to leave it there. Uh, Matt Matrician, Chief Channel Officer at Asset Mark. Thank you very much. Thanks for being here, sir.
1: Yeah, thank you so much, Jeff. I look forward to the next time.
0: Okay, folks, that was another episode of the Investment News Podcast. I had to go it alone this week, but Bruce will be back next week. I promise. And I want to thank our guest Matt Matrician of AssetMark. I want to thank our producer Angelica Hester, our sponsor Schwab Asset Management. Also, if you want to reach out to myself or Bruce. For anything at all, uh, unless you need to borrow some money, don't, don't reach out to us for that. You can find me on Twitter, at Benji Writer. Bruce Kelly is at BD BDNewsGuy. Thank you very much, and we'll talk to you next time.